we need to talk about ideas, good ones and bad ones. We need to learn stuff about the world. We need an honest, intelligent, thought-provoking, and entertaining review of what the hell happened on this planet in the last seven days. We need to sit back and listen to the Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove. Welcome back, dear listener. This is episode 185 of the Iron Fist Velvet Glove podcast. This is an Australian podcast where we look at news, current affairs, events going on in the world. If there's a chance to bash religion, we will do so. There's normally a panel of us, uh, straight, white, cisgendered males of privilege. And I'm a gay, straight, well, straight, gay. I'll start that again. I'm a gay white male of privilege. <laughs> now that you've sorted out your identity. Yeah, I know. I've got that right. <laughs> that, that Scott, the velvet glove. G'day, Trevor. G'day, Paul. G'day, Was. How are we all? We'll, we'll have a beer um, report a bit later on. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, as always, Paul, the 12th man. G'day, everyone. How are you? They're all good. And a special guest we've got with us. Was who is one of our patrons, and more importantly, was the man who inspired the beer sponsorship uh, run that we're on at the moment. Welcome aboard, Was. G'day, listener. <laughs> it's good to be here. It's a privilege. Thank you. So, Was is helping out with a few different things on the website. So, I gave him a quick lesson, and he's had dinner and a glass of wine, and he's now on his beer, and he's ready to record a podcast with us. And uh, actually, dear listener, um, this is this, uh, Warren's new to to podcasting is with us one other episode and he was lucky he was with us when we did our little pep talk so before the podcast you may not realize this but just to inspire ourselves and just to get ready for the podcast we, we sit around and we sing a little song to each to ourselves and, and this is this is what we were this is what we just uh, helped to sort of pep up was to get him going you're looking sharp you're looking good you've come so far we know how to make the most of who you are. Father to son, it's what we've always done to let the best of men together. so many things. Yes, was. By the end of this podcast, you will be the best a man can get. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds a bit suggestive, uh, Trevor. Well, we're just uh, we, we'll see what happens. But, dear listener, I don't know. Maybe it's the circles that we operate in. But there's been a lot of talk about a certain ad that Gillette did, and it's going to take up a considerable amount of the first part of this um, episode. So, if you don't like uh, talking about Gillette ads, you, you might want to fast forward almost an hour by the time we get through this. <laughs> Because there's a lot I to don't talk think about. It needs that much to talk about it. Well, we'll, we'll, s- we'll see. But what happened, dear listener, was so that's the original Gillette ad um, from ages ago. The best a man can get, and that was actually from a Super Bowl ad. So it was quite an expensive ad, and the idea was it had images of of men who were achieving and Wall Street and with their girlfriends and their kids and. If you bought a Gillette razor, then you could have the same experience and be a great man. It hasn't worked out for me. <laughs> I the visuals in that ad were very Top Gun. It was. Yeah. I think there was a scene from Top Gun in there. I yeah. think Tom Cruise was in there, yes. Oh, was he? Yes, yeah, I think okay. in one of the scenes. So, so anyway, the best a man can get, somebody in an advertising department looked at that and thought there's a Me Too element to this that we can work off. And they created... 
an ad and the byline was uh, the best a man can be. And I'm going to play you a little bit of the audio and sit back and have a This is the second part of it. But essentially the first part was uh, visually questioning, uh, we're talking about toxic masculinity and it had images of men behaving badly. So boys who were fighting and the fathers were looking on and sort of just saying, oh, boys will be boys. And an image of a guy who was about to wolf whistle a girl and another guy saying, don't. There were some sort of ugly masculine images. And then in the second half, it showed, you know, one of the fathers breaking up the boys' fight and and demonstrating that you can be good men in the second half. So I'm just going to play the second half of that for you. Because we... We believe in the best in men. Men need to hold other men accountable. Smile, sweetie. Come on. To say the right thing. To act the right way. Bro, not cool, not cool. Some already are. In ways big. Yo, men. And small. I am strong. I am But some is not enough. So how we treat each other, okay? Okay. Because the boys watching today will be the men of tomorrow. Seems innocuous, but it's virtually exploded, hasn't it? Look, the thing that I think was missing from that whole commercial where men were trying to model good behaviour for each other and for young boys was there was no scene of men sitting around a table making a podcast. That was missing. Yeah. (laughs) We are all clean shaven. (laughs) So just the whole point of um, there's an uproar from the the far right, I guess, saying what are you doing demonising little boys and men. This is an outrage. Mm. This is putting men down. The Me Too movement has gone too far. And really, on all sorts of media, it was this sort of discussion. To give you an example, I've got a little bit of a clip here from Miranda Devine. So she was on the drum, I think, and at the same time John Hewson was on as well. So from, from that ad, this is, this is what Miranda Devine got from it. Gillette has copied the federal government, the Australian government's domestic violence ads, which do the same thing. They demonise little boys. They have uh, depict, you know, small eight-year-old kid running, you know, doing just being a boy, running around, wrestling, two little boys wrestling. Somehow that, that those boys are incipient wife bashers, incipient rape, rapists. They don't even, they haven't even gone through puberty yet. I think that's a really evil thing to do to little boys, to men, to make them feel like they, there's nothing they can do about what they're born with, the DNA that they were born with, and that somehow they're inferior to women. Well, you and, took that a long way. Yeah, you took that <laughs> you took a, a really long way. I didn't read anything like that in the ad. Yeah. Well, but, but it's part and of the little boys thing. Are you saying that ad that they're wrestling? I think that one's beating the other boy up. Like I, think, I, I don't think that that was just fun wrestling because one boy's saying no. 
It he, was fun wrestling. If you look at the image, the video image, the boy was not bashing the shit out of the other little kid. They were basically just wrestling on the ground. And then, uh, of course, the good dad comes over and says, oh, now, 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 let's, let's be nice to each other. Let's not, you know, be yeah, nice. Yeah, that's, that's how I saw it as well. I was yeah. just wrestling. Now, if the kid had have picked up a baseball bat and slammed the other kid over the head with it, then I would have said, yeah, intervention would be appropriate. Mm. But, you know. But how would you, how would you demonstrate that in an ad? Did you have this guy beat him up with a baseball bat or not? Well, that's precisely the point. The kid wasn't doing anything, you know, extraordinarily violent to the other boy. He was just wrestling. And we've all done it as kids. And mm. did, did, did we turn out to be monsters as a result? All male primates do that, don't they? They do. It's, it's, it's part of part of growing up, isn't it? That sort of physical so interaction. So are you sort of sympathetic to the Miranda Devine? I am, sort of I have to say. I think, I think she raises a valid point that any, any demonstration of physicality <clears throat> now is being demonised in young boys. You know, uh, she refers to the anti-domestic violence ad, and you may recall it was a scene of a young boy uh, slamming the door in the face of this little girl who then sort of falls over on a butt and she sort of looks up to think, oh, why'd you do that to me? But, I mean, she wasn't badly injured. It was a sort of mischievous act mm. and it wasn't, it wasn't nice, mm. but it certainly was not uh, extraordinarily violent. I think she read a lot into the ad myself. Like she was saying that people were demonised and that they're now rapists and they're locked in by their DNA. I think yeah, it she, was just an ad that showed some poor behaviour and some guys stepping in and saying, yeah. don't do that, that's not a good idea. But you don't think that, uh, for it's, example, it's the, that. the Gillette ad was pick, picking up something fairly innocuous and trying to make more of it than it really was? No, I don't think I, so. I don't think they could paint. I don't, a, 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 a harder image. It had to be. I mean, I understand what you're saying about the two little boys wrestling because they were just wrestling, you know, and that was fairly benign. Totally benign. But, but it did have scenes of gangs chasing a boy. Exactly. The, the and then that, got, that other guy stepped in and stopped the kid getting the shit kicked out of him on the street. I apologise for language, mm. but it was true. Mm. Which language are you apologising for? <laughs> I just, I just think it was an, a fairly innocuous ad, but it got amazing airplay in all sorts of media. Yeah. That uh, for what was just a simple ad about, and this is this is Gillette, this is the Gillette probably behind it all. They thought to themselves, we've got to have something controversial because you know the best a man can mm. get, that's been done to death now. What mm. about the young, the young men, the young sort of young adult men, uh, and one of them says, "Hey, sweetie," or something like that to these women in their bikinis. And the other guy's like saying, hey, 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 you shouldn't be saying they stuff like bikinis, that. They were bikinis, they just walking down the road. No, 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 there was a bunch of guys at a, at a party, wasn't there? Did I read it wrong? Oh, that was guys ogling, but there was another, there was a different scene. We might be thinking of two different scenes. Yeah, yeah. I'm thinking of not the one where the, 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 if you like, black guy says, hey, 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 not cool, not cool. No, I'm thinking of a different scene mm. where there was a bunch of young people, young adults, there was a couple, a few guys and a few women, mm. and one—I mean—the the strongest language he used was "sweetie," mm. and the other guy was saying, "Hey, hey, hey, you shouldn't be talking like that, mm. sweetie." Yeah, I mean, really? Yeah, <laughs> you know, we've never been women, so we don't know what it's like to be sweetie. Yeah, I know, but none of us are women. We can't tell how you would react mm. to being called sweetie. Sweetie, you know, I know. 
I know, but I've also I've had conversations with girls before that have said they hate the term love. God knows why, but they do. Well, it's not like bitch. It's not like, hey, bitch, exactly. get your gear off. Yeah, exactly. Know? Yeah. It's pretty innocuous. But anyway. I thought so. Jane Caro um, had this to say. In the wake of the controversial, but I think excellent Gillette ad, it's become clear that many people have no idea what toxic masculinity means. Mm. To many of us, including some who make a living from using words, um, seem to think the phrase implies that masculinity in and of itself is toxic. However, it only takes a reasonable understanding of the English language to realise that it is a silly assumption. As someone cleverer than me on Twitter pointed out, we all know there are toxic plants, such as oleander and deadly nightshade, but we don't assume, therefore, that all plants are toxic. So she says that toxic masculinity is, a, is when a stereotype of what it is to be an acceptable male is taken to extremes. And she says, feminists like me are not man-haters. Uh, most of us love our fathers, sons, brothers, blah, blah, blah. What we hate is the damage we see toxic masculinity uh, do to many men. Uh, any thoughts on toxic masculinity as... Well, I, I actually looked up the definition of uh, toxic masculinity. I typed it into Google and the, the reply that I got um, from Google was a definition of hegemonic masculinity. Mm. Um, and that's defined as a practice that legitimises powerful men's dominant position in society and justifies the subordination of the common male population and women and other marginalised ways of being a man. So um, that's different to say the Gillette ad. Like that's a sort of a power imbalance where men are in charge of everything is, is a sort of a toxic on that definition. I think females are actually capable of displaying <laughs> toxic masculinity. <laughs> well, they well, can well, be, yeah. Well, well, no, but hang on. But what it's saying is that the dominant gender in our society is mass, is men, are mm. men, and that's toxic masculinity, just the hegemonic sort of dominance of that group mm -hmm. is, is that definition, right? Mm. But the ad itself wasn't doing any of that. It was no. just talking about overtly um, – stereotype masculine behaviour that was just ugly, quite, mm. quite different. So I, you know, so Jane Caro seems to think that the term toxic masculinity is something everybody should know, and here it is, but I don't know that her definition yeah. is correct. So she's saying it's when a stereotype is taken to an extreme and it's toxic. So... Well, the definition of tops, toxic is something that is capable of causing serious harm to a person's health and well-being. Yeah. So that's, that's one verb. Calling yep. someone sweetie is capable of causing serious harm. Serious harm? I wouldn't have thought so. Yeah. Mm. See, I would say um, that, um, well, she says, so not all masculinity is toxic, just exaggerated versions of the stereotype. Mm. Um, maybe that is so far from true masculinity that it should be called something else, mm. like being a buffet or a dickhead. Yeah. Like, you, really? I mean, the mm. guys who are ex, ex, sort of showing that sort of behaviour, mm. you don't look at that and go, oh, that's masculinity. You no, just go, that's a dickhead. dickhead. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, sure, oleander is toxic and part of the plant family is therefore a toxic mm. plant, but dickhead behaviour is not part of true masculinity so toxic masculinity ties two things together, which are quite separate. 
That's one argument that mm. I would say. Mm. So, and she says, uh, again in this article, she said that there is such a thing as toxic femininity. She says the most damaging example I can think of, however, is the very rare Monchalson syndrome by proxy. This is a mental illness where mothers so enjoy their role as hero nurturer, they actually poison their own children to keep them perpetually and mysteriously sick. Literally toxic, in other words. That's a, that's a really extreme example, isn't it? I would have thought she'd be talking about, um, you know, women being bitchy, basically, mm. among other women, you know? Mm. And I, I haven't seen it because I don't, you know, I'm not a woman, so I'm not privy to that sort of conversation. But I've heard from other women mm. that it, it definitely is a real thing where groups of women can be very competitive with each other. and um, Yeah, there's some biological traits. So they say. That, yeah. So just as blokes, you know, in a pub will establish who is the alpha male in the group, Apparently, women have something that is comparable, mm. Mm. and we do it. We dominate ourselves in a physical sense, where they mm. try to manipulate someone emotionally. Mm. Um, yeah, we need some women very, on the podcast. To sort we are this being out extremely sexist because I do think that you've got to open this up to women if you're going to say that. Well, we'll probably get a few uh, comments. S- send in your opinions. <laughs> but here's the point I would make. So, when referring to Monchelson syndrome by proxy. We don't say toxic motherhood because it's so far removed from true motherhood. Like nobody looks at that and says, oh, toxic mm. motherhood. Exactly. You, you, yeah. you don't. It's not motherhood. It's mm. not. It's a, it's so, a pathology. It's, it, yes. Mm. So uh, I think Jane Caro is off the mark on that one. I so, think so too. Yeah. So, um, Sorry, Jane. Yeah. But, you know, um, was you a bit of a fan of Jordan Peterson? More than you. <laughs> That's not hard. Indeed. I blame Jordan Peterson for this I'm, phenomenon. I'm interested. <laughs> because uh, he has come out in a number of interviews defending men and uh, often with female interviewers who are sort of saying, look, there's this uh, hegemonic sort of thing going on where the male gender dominates and um, blah, blah, blah. And he very um, accurately and uh, colourfully describes how it's not all plain sailing for a lot of men and that, you know, who is a victim of assaults more than anyone else is men and who dies earlier and who's likely to die incarcerated. in Incarcerated. Incarcerated. Mm. Suicide. Bunch, yep. And so the sort of picture that these women were painting was of a very small select elite group of men who are in charge of our media and politics. But mm. for a lot of men, it's not the case and it's a, they're struggling as much as any um, hypocrite. So he, he, bikes he, there, he that paints was... it, but here's my point. He <clears throat> the... paints a very good picture. And a lot of people have been watching Jordan Peterson and they're going, yeah, men need to be defended. Yeah, but he... I reckon this, the, the reaction to this ad is a lot of people saying, I'm going to be a Jordan Peterson on this and I'm going to defend <laughs> men from this, from this sort of attack. And let's face that, it. That would not have happened before Jordan Peterson. There you go. There's my, was? Uh, yeah, there's an element of truth to what you're saying there, I think. Um, Jordan Peterson has missed the point there. All those, all those guys that he listed off, prisoners, that sort of thing, suicide, they're all found their way into that situation through their own hand. 
you know? No, not necessarily. Oh, don't give me this, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're, they're, they're a victim of society. In oh, the way that for they the are... love of God. No. <laughs> don't bring God into this. <laughs> well, well, who gets conscripted into war? Men, but who was, who was in the front lines in the First World War? Russian women. The first soldiers, the first soldiers into the, into the Adolf Hitler's bunker? Russian women. The Russians have had a very long legacy of having women at the front lines as well as men. I, th- you know, I don't like Jordan Peterson, but I think he <laughs> makes a good point. That, that, the the uh, Russians that, are exceptional in a number of ways, though, aren't they? And that's one example. I think yeah. if you look at wars throughout history, on the whole... It's, it's generally men, and you know why, men. because you want women to be breeding stock. Who suicides more? Men, but okay. like I said... And they that's do their it, own fault, they, isn't they it? Do, they do it themselves, yeah. Because of the <laughs> pressures that are on them, oh. you know. Look, it's, it's not necessarily about uh, saying they're victims, but we're we're all subject to the social forces in which we live, aren't we? <clears throat> mm. One way or another, both positive and negative, and in some cases, those negative forces uh, overwhelm some people. Yeah. Anyway. I- Anyway, there was an interesting uh, angle to that ad, finally, before we move on. Yes. I actually got quicker, uh, through it quicker than I thought we would. But um, <laughs> there was a guy who added up the racial differences in the mm. commercial and basically he defined people as either being exhibited as good men or bad men. Mm. And he racked up the sort of numbers. I've got here a bit of a clip of, of what his final tally was, so I'll just play that for you. So... The final numbers are in. We have six good black men, three good white men. In contrast, we have 56 bad white men and three bad black men. Does Okay. I contacted a person who was adept at math to crunch some of those numbers for me. Given that the stats are 63% to 13.2%, the chances of this randomly occurring... Out of sheer coincidence, given the pool size of the people that they could have selected, the chances of that happening are 0.03%. And that is specifically talking about, of the nine good men selected, the chances of six of them being black are that low. Of the 59 bad men featured in this, the chances of selecting 56 of them to be white in our country is 1 in 300 billion. 1 in 300 billion? Yes. Given the population breakdown in America of black and white. There's an interesting analysis, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. None of us spotted it until this was pointed out. I forget how I came across it now, but um, I thought it was interesting. But, and it, it seems to be a reflection of the general tone of discourse in the United States at the moment, that you just don't dare uh, hold up uh, non-white people as being somehow faulty, do you? Because there's always an outcry. You know, mm. that, you know there's always the racist card is pulled out. Yeah. Mm. There we go. What do you think? I, I'm, I'm sure it was intentional. Mm. Gillette the were way, very careful in their racial profiling in that ad, weren't they? Or, mm. or the ad agency was. Or whoever well, the ad agency, yes, person of course, there. Gillette mm. was paying for it. They mm. had to okay it at the end and say, yeah, we like what you've done, mm. or we don't. Mm. Did anyone ever consider that perhaps the guys that were watching the ad might have been colourblind? They might have just looked at it and said, yeah, that's blokes. No, people Colour, who work in advertising are very, very particular about the images mm. that they present. 
Mm. You mean genuinely colourblind? No, I don't mean genuinely colourblind. I mean colourblind as in they just saw men, not coloured men. Well, you're saying by chance. Well, I would imagine so. Do you mean the people who made the point? The guy who's done the math said the chances of it happening. I know, it's one in 300 billion. Yeah, I agree. It's highly unlikely that that's Mm. the way it would have done. It's probably been done deliberately by the guys that were making the ad. But like you were saying, the Gillette people that had to approve it. Might have just looked at it and said, "Yeah, that's all blokes. Yeah, that's fine." So, if the if the the people had done it differently, the people who made the ad differently had had done it exactly according to the the racial proportions of the United States population, and made the good guys and the bad guys totally proportionate, or maybe they'd done some social research and and based it on the the figures of um, you know criminal convictions or something like that, or violent violent convictions, and then presented it exactly as it's reflected in the statistics and then showed it to the Gillette executives and said, what do you think, guys? They would have, I dare say, they would have said, ooh, a bit iffy. Mm. Too what many, if they'd flipped it? Too many black, bad black guys. In what it. if they'd flipped that ratio? Yeah. There'd, be, there'd be an outrage. There'd be an outrage, yeah. yeah. And that's, that's what I can't stand about the ad is the, is the the double standard the reverse racism in in effect? Yeah, mm. there's 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 a double standard in you know the race, but you know the uh, and a plug for Coleman Hughes. If L'Oreal would have come out and and create a, a new slogan called "You're Not Worth It," mm. um, what would be what would the, the backlash from that? You know? what, what kind of product are <laughs> so, we talking? So the about normal here? slogan is "You're worth it." <laughs> You're worth it. <laughs> And they're going to get. You're not. How would you're they not do, worth it. How would that work? So don't buy our our product because yeah. <laughs> you're not worth it. You're not worth it. Yeah. You need to improve before you can buy our product. It's a reverse psychology. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, no, I think I know why you're not working in an ad agency. <laughs> yeah. but, you know. Um, <laughs> can I make a, put in a plug for Coleman Hughes, <clears throat> sure. uh, a guy that. Uh, some of us really like. He's a, a young African-American. Um, he's actually still a university student and he writes these amazing uh, perceptive articles about racial politics in the United States. And there's a new one out on the online journal Quillette, mm, okay. which I think it, you'll find We'll talk about that next week. Mm. But he often makes the point that it's culture that um, runs a lot of these things and mm you know, not skin colour, and he's describing how Hispanic communities from the Caribbean had much better, you know, education sort of um, results. Uh, and not only local. Hispanic communities, mm. like mm. Uh, d- people descended from African slaves from Haiti apparently yes. mm-hmm. uh, w- were statistically more successful in New York than the people who were there a lot longer. Yeah, I think African he's quite person. right that a lot of it is cultural as opposed to skin colour mm. and it's what's going on in the family and in the cultural group. So, mm. mm-hmm. Right, well, that was a... Uh, can can yes. I just add one mm. more thing? You, you shared an um, article from The Conversation mm. in, in regards to the, uh, the Gillette commercial and there was, a, there was a sentence that stood out for me. It said, um, nearly two-thirds of consumers believe companies should take a stand on social or political issues. I don't think why? I shared that, but I, okay. <laughs> uh, why do people want advertising agencies to stay, take a stand on social issues? It's an interesting stay point. Stay in your lane. You're selling us some products and some services. 
Exactly. You know, don't try and tell us how to act. And that is what, and what's that, moral and what's not. And that is the one yeah. thing that I did take from those that were opposed to the ad who were saying I didn't want to be preached to yeah. by Gillette. By Procter I mean, & Gamble. The, the, yeah, exactly. Was it well, yeah. the advertising agency, yeah. I did some research, it's called the Grey Group. Um, you know, is it is it not bad enough that these advertising agencies tell us that we're not happy and, you know, and that we need to buy their products and services? Is it not bad enough that these ad agencies tell us that we don't look good enough? Mm. These ad agencies that tell us that... Um, you know, you're not happy because you haven't travelled to this overseas destination. Like, there, there needs to be some restrictions put on these advertising agencies because they can affect the culture in a very negative way and have been affecting our culture in a very negative way for a lot of years. And they just need to, you know, in their ads, tell us what's good about their product. Tell us why it's good value. Tell us why it's better than their competitor. Mm. But stop telling me yeah, but, but, but emotion that I'm sells products <laughs> yeah. a lot of the time. And when you facts are you, just <laughs> annoying, when, like it's about emotion. If I really know why you're not in the ad agency, you've got to get rid of the emotion out of ad agencies. See, when you when you absolutely got a, when you got a product like a razor, let's face it, there's very little difference between a. Gillette Mark III and a Gillette Mark IV and blah, oh, blah, blah, But the blah, fifth blah, blah. blade picks up oh, just that little yeah, bit. I know. They're, they're one, in two, trouble. I've, I've done a bit of research into Gillette <laughs> as well and their, their razor blade sales have dived due right. to uh, online purchasing. Right. Um, you know, companies like Shaver Shop and stuff like that, they can no longer sell their razor that they get made in China for 30 cents for $11. Right. Um, so it's it's I see this advertising campaign as a bit of a act of desperation, really. Well, see, yeah. it's, it's, it's ticked all the right boxes because you've just had how many people have shared it. You know, exactly. It's gone it's, viral. It has it, gone it's viral. Achieved so it's achieved achieve. what it wanted to achieve. So is it the principle yeah, of any publicity is better than yeah, no publicity? Absolutely. Except if it went viral and a lot of people decided I'm not buying Gillette anymore. Like, yeah, well, so. people yeah, have got short-term memories. Yeah, yeah. and you've, yeah. you've also got that. You've got that situation where you had those guys that were flushing their bra- lasers down the toilet, you know. They flushed razors down the toilet. Yeah, they did. Mm. There were pictures of that. The sort right. of people had shared saying, "This is what I think of Gillette," and they had their razors. Oh, oh, I see. So not habitually flushing right. the razors. Okay. Down no, the you know, a couple of years ago, I said I'd never buy a Volkswagen either. You know, I don't know whether you can remember, but the the, the, uh, the way they dodged thing. dodged up their emissions. But right. uh, you know, a couple of years later, I'm thinking, oh yeah, I'd buy it. I'd buy a Volkswagen. <laughs> I've forgotten about that already. <laughs> And they're relying upon that, you know. They, they just want to get the Gillette name out there. It's uh, whether good or bad or otherwise, let, they let, just want the name out there and people talking about it. But back to your original question, obviously they do it in the hope that they're going to be selling more of their product, having these moral sort of moralising um, stances. Mm. So, and, I mean, Qantas did the same thing with the sort of same-sex debate, I think. With Yeah, and Pepsi got involved yeah. as well, I think. I agree. Um, but, I mean... You know. Who really, who really thinks that the companies actually believe anything they say? I guess some people do. And but, does their but, advertising but surely, have such a profound influence on should, the way we think? I think advertising has a sure. profound influence on culture. Sure. A razor blade ad? Surely. Yep. Surely Absolutely. most people look at the Gillette ad and go, you wankers are just saying that. Like, you don't believe 
any of that crap. Mm. Well, their just... actions haven't supported yes. their uh, words. Yeah. Actually. This, is, and, this is the and, point that was sent to us in email and, this and, afternoon. And, and nobody, mm. I, I think it's just some of it's posturing by executives or whatever to make themselves feel good, but they wouldn't actually sell anything as a result. One sure. more angle. Mm. Another you, angle. God. Well, sorry, but yeah. the, Miranda Devine um, mm. that you, you played the, mm. the tape from, Earlier, she she was countered by that other young woman who's a, a journalist on the drum, who said, "Look, you know, Gillette is doing a service to for all men. It's not just about helping women out; it's about helping men out of that cage of 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 masculinity." So, how do you guys feel about it? Do you do you feel liberated as a result of the Gillette ad? Do you well, feel like I've, I've been listening to that ad on repeat all all week, and my toxic masculinity levels have halved. <laughs> Okay, so it's yeah, working for it's you. Working. It's working. I've nice. uh, established that through yeah. some blood tests. Have you been... <laughs> and the uh, but, toxicity levels of halves. So but have you found I'm going to yourself, continue listening to it. Have you found yourself crying in response to you know news articles about abused animals more? No. Look, I think it had a good point to make in that in a group of people standing by watching, one guy would step forward and stop something bad happening. I think that was a positive message from that ad. Yeah, okay. so some positive message. I think definitely. I would be more likely to step out of the crowd and take an initiative as a result of the Gillette ad. There you go. Okay, but what would you stop, Trevor? Would you stop the little boys wrestling on the on the ground at the barbecue? The problem with that one, from our vantage point watching the ad, it's impossible to tell what was really going on. Okay, what about young, a young bloke sees a sexy young woman or man walking mm. past and wolf whistles? What would you do then? Uh, well, that, good point. I wouldn't do anything. I don't think that's worth. Yeah, you know, I see a lot of this this sort of behaviour, and I know I, I I cop some flack for what I said on mm. that other episode. I see a lot of it as just instinctive mating behaviour. Mm. And look, mm. you know, the guy, you know, we cannot assume that that guy was going to go and and rape that woman. Mm. Maybe he just wanted to buy her a drink. You know, maybe he just wanted to say. Give her hey, a compliment. You know, I just couldn't help myself. Can can I can I get it get your number or or would you have a drink with me? You know, I mean, is that so evil? Oh. Well, what would be wrong with him saying that rather than wolf whistling? But the black. Do you remember in the ad, the black guy says, "Hey man, hey, not cool, not cool." You know, mm-hmm. and he physically obstructed him from following that woman. Now, you know, they might have fallen in love and got married and had five kids. We don't know. Mm. You're looking at me strange now. <laughs> I don't, you know. Look, it's mating behaviour. I don't pay females compliments should anymore. It, it's too dangerous. Should, but should a bloke really be I'm not saying should. accosting a complete stranger? No, she didn't accost, he didn't accost her. With the, you know. He was reacting. In a mating behaviour. This mm. is a mating behaviour. Yeah. Now, you can say, yeah. okay, and, and see, the objection I have to some of the discussion is that any sort of re, uh, sexual response is now potentially deemed as toxic masculinity. Mm. And I really think there's something a little bit dangerous about that because mm. do we shut down any, uh, any, any sort of expression of male sexuality because a lot of it to me is just mating behaviour, I have to say. Mm. And, look, I I read another commentary uh, by somebody and I think it was, uh, 
I think it was that woman, Heather, what was her name, the American act, academic, uh, Hailing, was it Heather Hailing? I don't know. Anyway, she was, she was saying um, in Western societies, because we have basically monogamy is, is, is the rule and the standard, whereas in some uh, more traditional cultures you have very powerful men who can have more than one wife, and we know what areas of the world we're talking about, mm. and they tend to attract basically, you know, women want to be with a powerful, wealthy man rather than, you know, a poor guy. And yet, you know, that, that leads to an imbalance in society where some men have no women. Mm. And these are the men who potentially uh, may become rapists because they're desperate, because mm. they don't have access they don't have an outlet for their sexuality. And mm. what she's saying is actually in the West, we're, getting, we're much closer to getting the right balance because we've instituted monogamy, mm. you know, and, and if there's roughly a, an even uh, sex, you know, gender balance in the, in the population, then, mm. you know, of course there'll always be some guys and some women who don't find a mate in life, sadly, uh, and Hugh Mackay, the Australian sociologist, he was saying, look, what we have to guard against is people feeling isolated and alienated. We have to be more inclusive in society in general, not just about sex, but generally, so that people don't become isolated and desperate, you know, and they don't then, or they're less likely to engage in extreme acts, you know, antisocial acts. Mm. And I, th I think uh, that woman made a, a very good point that, mm. um, you know, we shouldn't be suppressing every expression of sexuality. We should be just uh, discouraging or prohibiting or shutting down in some way the, the violent, really nasty, harmful expressions of sexuality. Mm. Yeah, that was an advance. That was that guy letting that girl know that he was interested um, and... You know, you, you, you'll get um, a proportion of the female population who will see that as unwanted and there'll be a proportion of the female population that feel as though men aren't brave enough to uh, express their true feelings and show that they're interested. So, you know, you, you, as, a, as a male, you're sometimes left in a situation where you can't win. Uh, no matter what you do, you're doing something wrong and... Uh, that's that's not a nice situation to be in. I don't have this problem. <laughs> <laughs> well, hang on a minute. Well, you might. What, in the gay community, if you're in a gay nightclub, like yeah. what's, yeah. Uh, you know, is, oh, God. is you know, yeah. I guess the point is that nobody in a gay nightclub says, I'm offended that you made that suggestion <laughs> exactly. to me. Is, exactly. Is that what we're at here? Yeah, it is. It's, right. uh, it's all in volume two. It's all in volume two of my book. And, right. uh, you know, ladies and gentlemen, those of you that uh, don't bat on my team, right. yeah, you don't Look, know Scott, what you're sometimes, busy sometimes I'm jealous of your situation. <laughs> you know, I'd, I'd much rather be, uh, so I think buy would be the way to go, actually. <laughs> that is interesting. So, yeah, so from, the, from a male gay perspective, there'd be no chance at all of somebody getting offended because some guy has said, hey, good looking. No, I mean, you know, it's, it's just if someone says to you, hey, you're good looking or something like that, you tell them, thank you. Thank you. you know, so yeah, it's so great. Is, <laughs> is there no such thing as um, toxic masculinity in a gay bar? I don't know. I've never noticed it. 
Mm. It's been, God, it's been ages since me and the better half went out to a gay bar, so yeah. I couldn't tell you. Yeah. Mind you, though, there is a power imbalance with women and men. So mm. it can be threatening for a woman to be approached by a man in that sort of circumstance where when you've got two men, physically it's not as threatening for the person receiving the advance. Absolutely, it it's be. not. And that is, that is the whole point. It is not as threatening. Yeah. You know, you are equals and all that sort of thing. Yep. So it is a hell of a lot easier to deal with. Yeah. yeah. So, for example... This guy doing this thing on the ad, that was clearly in a public street with lots of people yeah. crisscrossing around. Had it been in a more deserted neighbourhood... It may have been threatening. ...then that might have... That would easily have cast it into a more dangerous action... ...because of the... Um, because of her perception that she's in trouble. He was just in, looking in as well. But he was, well, okay. Well, he let's started assume, walking after her. He it, started following yeah. her. Let's assume, though, that, yes, he was so. going to follow and make an advance. If but, you were to do that in a dark alley. Well, why would you assume he was going to follow and make an advance? I, I, I saw he was just admiring. And she was no, walking the other way. The other guy yeah, stopped him she, and put his hand he, on did, his didn't chest. Didn't he turn around? Didn't he turn around to follow after her? He just sort of took a step forward. Okay, let's ignore what we saw <laughs> and let's make an assumption. Okay. For... You know, so we're going to have the assumption a, a, that that black gentleman a, didn't intervene. A guy who sees a cute girl walking past stops what he's doing and starts following her and calling out to her saying, hey, gorgeous, uh, can I have your number? Can I buy you a cup of coffee? Blah, blah. What I'm saying is that was a very public place where it was done in the ad. Uh, in a different place. The physical just, danger to her in that situation correct, was very reduced, minimal. But mm. in a more deserted place. Uh, context matters, so mm. it becomes less acceptable in a place where it's clearly could be perceived as threatening. Mm. Yeah, so I context so. matters I think that, to some extent. I think you're right there that context does matter. Mm. And I think that um, I just think that guy was having a good look, and you know we're visual yeah. creatures; it's part of our biology. We we're, we're turned on by what we see, so you no. know it just. You'll all have to go and look on the ad. Uh, there's a link on the website, mm. and. Uh, and There's a lot to break down and, in that ad, isn't there? And, 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 and if ladies, we, if we have any female, we, we do have. We do have yes. some female Bronwyn listeners it? out there. Yeah. Bronwyn, give us your opinion and Squeaky Wheel and others out there. Like, yeah, Kathy, all the rest of them. But, do write in. But, tell us what you think of our conversation. But yeah. of course, you can't speak on behalf of all women. That would be uh, no. That's very not, true. You know. It would be wrong of us to suggest that you could be a spokesperson and, you know, there'll be dozens of different views. So this is the problem. People would say to us, why don't you have a woman on this panel and giving her opinion? Well, she still wouldn't give the opinion of women because they don't mm. all think the same about these yeah. issues. Any more than we speak for all men. Yeah. Mm. So interesting. There we go. Right. Next topic. Australia Day is coming up. and <laughs> That's a lively one. <laughs> A lively one. <laughs> I've got a headline on an article here. I don't want to celebrate it. Uh, Today, newcomer Brooke Boney reignites Australia Day debate. So she's new on the Today program. I've never watched it. I don't know what she does there. But she's reignited the debate because um, she doesn't want to celebrate the date. She says, I'm a Gamalaroi woman. My family's from northern New South Wales. Been there for 60 years or so. 60,000 60,000, sorry. This date, I know it comes up every year. I'm not trying to tell everyone else what they should be doing or how they should be celebrating. Well, she is. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I think I have almost more reason than anyone else to love this country. 
But I can't separate the 26th of January from the fact that my brothers are more likely to go to jail than they are to go to school, or that my little sisters and my mum are more likely to be beaten and raped than anyone else's sisters or mum. I don't want to celebrate it, she says. Uh, Tony Jones, a commentator, I think from the Today program, who must have been there at the time, said, this is where I get not angry about it but upset which is almost in lots of ways, thing. is that why should it be an us versus them, he says. We see white Australians in similar situations uh, going to school without lunch or without a school uniform. So he sort of stood up for the opposite argument. So here's a lady that- who has got a job on the Today Show doing very well for herself, not wanting to celebrate because of what's happened to her people. And not only that, but... Just one glance at that woman tells you that her ancestry is not <laughs> purely Indigenous Australian. Sure. Now, why, why wouldn't I stand up every time I, I saw, a, a, you know, a Union Jack and said, damn it, I hate the English for what they did to my Irish ancestors, you know, mm-hmm. or I hate the French for, you know, what they did to my German ancestors or whatever. It's ridiculous the Japanese to keep going back. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you and I, Trevor, both have fathers who served in the Second World War fighting mm. against Japan. Mm. For goodness sake, I don't hate the Japanese for what, you know, their grandparents did because their grandparents, were, you know, mm. they, they were sent off like mugs like the rest of us, you know, mm. to fight in a war that probably, you know, wasn't, relevant to their daily lives back in Japan. Mm. Um, you know, at what point... And, and, does, and imagine if you were half Japanese and you still hated the Japanese. At, at what that, point that, does Brooke Boney say, I'm an Australian, rather than I'm a Gamaleroy, sorry for mispronouncing the, the mm. uh, Indigenous name. I think but, you did it better than me, but yeah. Okay. But at what point does she say, I'm an Australian? Yeah, I mean, maybe change the date. I'm, I'm open to it. But at the same time, why does she keep being very, very selective about her identity and her ancestry? And she's mm. totally nullifying, totally denying all the other ancestors that contributed. Not only that, but if it wasn't for that 26th of January uh, 1788 landing and all the things that happened as a result, she would not exist. She would never have mm. been born. Yeah, she talks about her um, nephews and nieces, is it, not going to school? Um, Well, she says that my brothers are more likely to go to jail Jail. than to go to school. Than to go to school. She also says my little sisters and my mum are more likely to be beaten and raped than anyone else's sisters or mum. The problem is, who's most likely to beat or rape them? (laughs) So just before the 26th of January 1778, they they didn't beat each other? Never. They never beat no. each other. They just lived in perfect noble harmony. Sa- noble savages. Noble savage, just Yeah, it's a load of guns. They're all happy, harmonious. There was yeah. no toxic And no one went to prison back then. Well, no, they, they didn't, didn't have, have prisons, prisons but, but, you know, oh, okay. they, that's why they threw spears so in what, the legs. So they just killed each other or well, they, they, they banished to... people from the tribe. And a bit of penis slicing as well. <laughs> yeah, and they, they never gave young girls to old men as, as, as wives. Really? I mean, it's such selective identity consciousness and it's just ridiculous, really. We're over it, aren't we? (laughs) We're really over it. Have you ever thought about what 
you know, if if the Aboriginal culture in Australia had, had remained completely isolated for the last what two hundred and thirty years, would it? Mm. What would what would it look like now? Would it would it look like North Sentinel? It would look. It would look What's basically North Sentinel. North Sentinel is that where that the island uh, where that oh, stupid yes, American yeah. missionary oh, yes. went and the got Christian, himself killed. Yeah, uh, quite possibly. Would it, would it look, look like it, that? So it would, would, it, would her would her nephews or her uncles, uh, you know, yeah. be going to school at North Sentinel? No, they wouldn't be going to school. It's, uh, there wouldn't be a school, right? No. Look, she wouldn't exist. She would never have been born because she is the descendants of Indigenous and European mm. and who knows what ancestry. And it's just that accidental coming together of all those genes that produced her. She wouldn't be here mm. at all. She would not have life without those of historical events that she now says are so, so damaging to her and her people. Mm. She wouldn't it's, exist. It's where we come back to with this all the time is somebody complaining about what some of her answers did to some others of her ancestors. That's where we're at. And... Nobody else says it except us. But, mm, mm. So, anyway. Sorry, um, Brooke. But, but yeah. I, I reckon they should just scrap Australia Day altogether. Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, just get rid well, of it. Well, I'm okay with that. Yeah. So am I. It's, it's, I, I mean, it's, I think we should be at least bringing that into the debate as mm-hmm. an option because the debate at the moment is do we keep it the same or do we change it to another date? And, you know, people are blind to the third option. Which is let's just get rid of it. And the British you know, don't have a, a national. When I, when I see I two so. toddlers no. fighting over a toy that neither of them actually need, you take it off them. <laughs> Good point. And it solves the problem, right? See, I honestly believe and send them to their beds. Yeah. <laughs> I honestly believe, and Trevor's heard this before, but I honestly believe the thing to do is to do away with public holidays and give us all an extra fortnight of annual leave. No, 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 no. No, you should do away with public holidays and then just have an extra fortnight of annual leave. Brilliant idea. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Sign me up. We, we no, no, because we, you, we, you look at those religious public holidays and all that sort of shit that we have to go and bow our heads and all that sort of garbage to. You know, it's nonsense. And you can still go so, to a so, dawn so, service on so, Anzac Day and make it to work on time. So, let's get this straight. Let's mm-hmm. get rid of the public holidays mm-hmm. and we'll take the money instead. No, don't get you get rid of the public so holidays. You and you end up with an extra two weeks of annual leave. Right, and. How long before the elite say, you know what, this, the economy needs growing and we've got to cut the six weeks back to four weeks like everybody else? Around the world, nobody else has six weeks holiday. Well, we better they, fall they, into line. Well, they do have a we, lot more holidays in Europe than what we, we do. We I think fall, the French in, have In America, they holidays. only have two weeks. We better fall in line with America and cut back. The, like once you start negotiating <laughs> pay and conditions – there's one side that wins. <laughs> if you want to give that up <laughs> and put that on the negotiating table, plus we need ev- days well, it, where we get together as a community. Was you should appreciate this. You've started your own was a condo running community. Yes. And people getting together and doing things together. And the thing about, say, Easter break, for example, is that Lots of your friends have time off at the same time and you can actually yeah. get away and it's go camping or go something. And that sort of social get-together, the ability to plan, hey, everybody, we all know we've got time off then, let's go and do something, is vitally important to 
yeah. a yeah, functional if got, society. If you've got six weeks annual leave up your sleeve, you just say to your close friends, look, take this week off in October. We're all exactly. going camping. But would they it's, do hard, that? it's hard to do yeah. and you can't get the leave and getting it organised and coordinated is difficult to do. So. Yeah, but how many people don't actually have the time off? I mean, like you've got the, you've got the Easter break. The only real public holiday you've got on Easter is um, Good Friday. That's yeah. the only time the shops are closed. Well, the rest of the weekend the shops yeah, are open. But we're talking all the service industries of yes, you engineers and the bikers and, and, and lawyers and, and <laughs> teachers. It'd do good things for uh, traffic congestion around Easter time, wouldn't it? Yeah. Well, <laughs> if uh, not, not everyone took the same days off. You know, the uh, it would. There's there's a lot of benefits. To that as well, I think you're just looking at the uh, the, the cons. Fist. Right. It would it would castrate the religions overnight because they would lose their one grip they've got left on us. Do you think it's important we have the Queen's birthday? We, we celebrate the, the Queen's birthday, even though it's not a birthday. And I think and not even the UK public gets holidays the are important. I don't care for the reason. Mm. Um, mind you, I've just said before we're happy to scrap Australia Day, but I don't want to scrap the public holiday. Yeah. So, so look, can I just mention in in Japan, a country I've spent some time in, they do have as, as many public holidays as we have, mm. but just not for the same reasons. Mm. You know, they have things like uh, respect for old people day. They have Children's Day. They have, um, I think they have even a day for like respecting the oceans and stuff mm. like that. It's, I mean, they're, they're kind of more secular oriented national days, although they do have something called Constitution Day and I think they have a holiday for the Emperor's birthday. So, but they're more secular than ours, which I think, as Scott was pointing mm. out, are often religious and, and quite empty of the original meaning. Well, they're not really religious, though, are they? No, like, exactly. It's only for the people who want to make it such. Yeah. How many of us go to church on Easter Sunday? Exactly. Mm. So <laughs> just the way it works out. Well, I don't. But Australia Day just promotes nationalism, right? True. And how good's nationalism been for the world lately? Not good. So I'm with you. I'm with you on that one. In and it's divisive, of, and it promotes a form of tribalism, which is destructive on the whole. Um, you know, yeah, nationalism provides. There's some pros to nationalism. There are some, but there's not a, too many. There's a lot more damage that has been done by nationalism than good. Mm. What's the first step to fascism? Isn't it like that was on the key planks of mm. fascism, as we discussed? So, and there's countries around the world that don't have a national day, and they're mm. fine. You know, Denmark. Yep. Um, the UK, I think. The UK, yeah. Are they doing fine? They're, they're okay. <laughs> Denmark's doing fine. Yeah. I, I think what about Finland? Finland. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we of the podcast love Finland. Finland, Finland, Finland. The country where I want to be boning, trekking or camping. Oh, I got the hot button for the Finland. <laughs> Finland, Finland, Finland. Oh, it's, it's good to be here to see the joy me. on your face as you're you're playing that song. It's just how I imagined it. There you go. Let's stop that. Okay. Uh, Yes. Right. Time to thank the patrons. Starting at the top, the one, the only, uh, Sean. Good on you, Sean. Haven't seen you for ages, mate, and would love to catch up at some stage. Thank you also, Janelle, Craig, John, Landon Hardbottom. Speaking of people that we haven't heard from for a while, Landon, what are you doing? Come on. <laughs> Landon has not sent us a message in a little while, so I come love on, Landon. Landon's yeah. messages. Yeah. yeah. Pull your finger out, Landon. Yep. You know. <laughs> 
Uh, Wayno, Ayame, the beneficiary, Alison, Steve, Tony, Caitlin, Jimmy Spud, Kane, Bronwyn, Matt J, Robert, Rod, Palais, Man, Dominic, Liam, Dave, The Squeaky Wheel, Daniel, Harry, Gavin, Peter, Captain Doomsday, and our new um, patron, Aiden, has joined the team. Huh. Aiden has joined a number of... Um, He's joined Robbie and Liam and uh, Harry, who are friends of my sons who listen to the podcast. And, I, guys, I have you in mind as I speak on this podcast because they're sort of in their mid-20s, mm. actually maybe getting on to late-20s, guys. Just watch out. <laughs> and uh, I have them in mind as we talk about things. So thanks, guys, for uh, signing up. And also... Just moving a beer bottle out of the way so I can read the screen. <laughs> Thank you to our people who have abandoned Patreon uh, for ethical reasons but are contributing on the side. That would be Dean, Ken, and Was himself here. Good on your Was. <laughs> Good on your Was. And Was, you've got a special place with us because you were our first beer sponsor. and uh, Started a trend. You did start the trend start indeed. Trend, yes. So thank you to the beer sponsors that we've had over time. Was Wayno, Landon, Bronwyn and uh, recently Dave. So thank you guys. If you are wanting to be a patron of the program, then head over to the website and click on a button and it's easily done. A dollar a show is all we ask. Best dollar you'll ever spend. And while we've got... Oh, yes, beer report. Beer report, okay. Uh, from Dave tonight, I'm drinking a Breakwater Australian Pale Ale. What was the consensus, gentlemen? Was it a good very beer? Very good. Very good very beer, good. yeah. Thank you yeah. very much. And the second beer, which I'm just started on now, is a Little Creatures Pale Ale, so very nice. And while I've got the microphone, I'd also like a shout-out to Sharon, who's a friend of the Better Halves. And she made contact me via Facebook after the last episode saying... If you ever work in government, Scott, please stay away from the passport office. Love an Australian citizen born in Scotland. <laughs> so, Sharon, as I said to you on then, I replied, I said, Sharon, do you engage in hostile acts abroad? No. Well, I guess you don't have anything to worry about now, do you? Anyway, uh, Sharon, you can cho- You can also be part of the team. You can uh, sign up and become a Patreon, a patron, and that will probably cost you 60p a week or thereabouts. Or you too can become a beer sponsor. Yeah. <laughs> I just had a thought. At what point does the beer sponsorship become toxic? Mm. <laughs> it's like it's like toxic masculinity. You're conflating two ideas that can't possibly go together. <laughs> right. Um, Sydney High Rise. You know, there's that building uh, near the sort of stadiums there. I think it is. Yeah, what was the which, name of the building? It was the Olympic Park, but I don't think it was. It was that was where it was built, but it was only built in the last twelve or eighteen was, months or something like that. It was that. a high rise residential building, but it had a very um, attractive sounding name to it. Can't also. remember, but anyway, it's got some severe cracking going on, and there seems to be a structural problem of some sort. And I just looked at that and I thought that um, building certifiers are an example of improper government outsourcing. So you know when you get work done on a domestic house or, you know, a multi-storey building, it used to be many years ago that somebody from the government would actually have to come out and inspect, are the footings there, are they deep enough, are you using what you say you're going to use in these plans? Is there enough steel in Do the, not uh, pour the cults. concrete until I see those footings and that reinforcement. Now you can pour it. And these sorts of tasks have been outsourced to private certifiers who 
obviously trained in what to look for, but that means then that the They're developers... representing the government. Yes, and they then tick off as certified... On behalf of... On behalf of the government. Yeah. But they are... How do you get the job? By being the cheapest. Because the developer rings around and says, I need a certifier to come and, you know, the incentive to let things slide that you shouldn't let slide mm. is too great. Mm. These, because, you know, if you don't tick the, all the boxes off, they're not going to call you next time. Yeah, if you're a pain in the ass because, you know, they haven't actually done 100% what they've done, you know, oh, I can let that go or whatever, the incentives aren't there. We should not be outsourcing these sorts of roles. We need government for this sort of thing. So that's just an example of, you know, whatever happens out of this, like Would maybe the private the- sector be doing it more efficiently though? Well, this, well, is, this the is the argument. argument but I don't, think it's, I don't think it's the case. That, you know, that will be the argument that it's more efficient. But the problem is you've got an inbuilt so it's a, it's a trade-off of the cost versus the quality. Yeah, you're, you're hoping that people will do the right thing and not be influenced mm. by the conflict that they are under. And, mm. and my study of human nature tells me that at some point somebody will weaken and if it happens to be a 30-storey building, like I'm not saying that's what's happened in this case, but it's mm. entirely possible that that's what will happen when you outsource that sort so of thing. if that certifies, certifier is an employee of the government yep. and he does some dodgy work, he signs off on some stuff that shouldn't be signed off, he's going to lose his job. He's, he's going to lose his job, sacked. but yeah. he's, he doesn't and have the same incentive. To the company, because, right? because he's not going to look well. at something and go, so if it's a government certifier, mm. he doesn't have the incentive to let things go because he's, he's still got his job next week that's no right. matter what happens. He's not going to be he's punished. Just, exactly. You can say, that's not right. I'm not certifying. Oh, Redo it. What you mean, yeah. Whereas uh, the private guy is going to go, oh, I just, you know, I need to feed the kids. If I knock you back on this thing you've done, you might not give me the job next week. Where am I going to get my next job? It's a, an inbuilt problem. So, But that guy's employed by the government, no, not by no, the no, private no. certifiers are private. Yeah, they're private. They're but pro- they tender yeah. to the government, don't they, for no, that work, no, for the they, certification work? They tender to the, they tender to well, the um, developers. Mm. Ah. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Mm. So it's up to the developer to get it certified and they ring around the private certifiers and say, I'm pouring, I've got this job, yeah, right. I'm certified. So anyway, we'll see what happens with that building. Uh, Jeff Kennett was... Uh, I saw him quoted in the news. So uh, Kelly O'Dwyer has retired recently, or announced her retirement, says she's not going to come back after the next election. Yeah, she's not going to run for election at the next election. So she's still in her job until the next election. Yeah. So Jeff Kennett speculated that Julie Bishop, age 62, Kevin Andrews, age 63, should join Kelly O'Dwyer in resigning from federal politics. While reserving judgment on up-and-comer Tony Abbott. (laughs) He's got some potential, that bloke. Quote, this is the quote from Jeff Kennett. Julie didn't want to serve in the ministry. Kevin's had his opportunity and been on the backbench for a period of time. They stand out clearly as perhaps giving others an opportunity. I'm at sixes and sevens (laughs) about Tony Abbott. He's still young enough to make a serious contribution in Parliament. He deserves an opportunity to demonstrate, you know, his his capacity. (laughs) 
he doesn't give up mm. on these guys, honestly. Uh, yeah. My <laughs> better half hates Jeff Kennett, right? right? He hates him with a passion. And he gets sick of him every time he Trump he bumps up and makes his opinion known. And after reading that, I'm seeing the better half side on this. I think he's a fucking idiot, you know. <laughs> but Julie Bishop, I thought, served pretty, um, pretty she did pretty do well. Very, she did do a very good job minister. as foreign minister. Yeah. Oh, who can't? It's the exactly. easiest it's job a, in the world. It's the easiest job in the world. Yeah, what, what do you do? You just go over and you no press the flesh and that's, and that's the thing and that's exactly right. I mean, I've made the point before she didn't get involved in the sausage making down in the Senate or anything else. That was very simple for her to look good, which is why she did. She was treasurer. And she was shadow treasurer and she fluffed it badly. Terrible. She's mm. just a show pony and, you know, it's the easiest job in the world to be foreign minister. Even more of a show pony when she visited Tehran so. and she wore her specially crafted Boy George hat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Did you see it? I didn't. Oh, you should try and dig out the old. Don't watch videos. a lot of television on purpose. Uh, mm. Just listens to podcasts like this one. Yeah. It's enough. Mm. I'm looking forward to seeing what Tony can make of himself <laughs> if given half a chance. Yeah. <laughs> the man's an idiot. <laughs> He's an idiot. Right. Uh, you sent me this one, Twelfth Man. Woolworths becomes the first supermarket to make own brand halal food due to. Did I send you that? Yeah, you oh, did. Okay. Um, due to growing Muslim population, Woolworths will become the first supermarket to sell and make its own brand of halal food. Mm. Um, the range will be called Al Sadiq, which means truthful in Arabic. Do you know I looked it up on Google Translate, and mm. I know Google Translate is not always totally accurate, but it, I put in those words, it didn't come up as the truth. Didn't it? It came up as something else, but look, I just don't remember. Look, it might be like that ice cream. Remember how they used to sell Norgan Vars and said it was. Uh, um, Yo Play was uh, uh, <laughs> French for yogurt. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. And, and it wasn't. wasn't. Yeah, and I think yeah. it was the same with one of the ice creams. Yeah, yeah. it wasn't. Yeah. Mm. Just kidding. Mm. So you're not happy about that one? Look, I'm, I'm probably not going to stop using Gillette, but I might actually. Visit Coles more than Woolworths if they're going to go with well, that. Halal. I just have an objection to this pandering to religious sensibilities at the expense of all other considerations in terms of. I don't have to buy it, but I think I think they are. They're selling the the you know the values of this country short by saying we will we will cave in to to religious pressure. Um, and you know, damn, stop, stop there. Hang on, hang on. Damn stop. all the progress we've made with animal rights, and you know, uh, treating animals with as as little suffering as as we can manage in terms of you know consuming them as food. Mm. Yeah, I'm sorry, but excuse my ignorance, but halal they. They have to face the cow in a certain direction and then slit its throat or something, do they? Is that- they don't stun them before they slit their throats. Well, is my that is no. They they do actually still stun them here in Australia. Do they? There's only a couple of abattoirs that don't stun the animals before they slit their throat. So are they still halal then? If they're stunned, yes, they are. Oh, really? But you listen to you've got the more extreme guys who actually say no, they're not. But the moderate, the moderate mainstream of the Islamic faith will say they're still halal. They just slit their throat. This is the problem with private certifiers in the halal industry. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. They're under an incentive to let mm-hmm. things go. Yeah. <laughs> to, to me, it's a bit like our government ministers saying they're going to, um, you know, handle their, their magic crystals before making a, an important ministerial decision. 
No, no, but it's, honestly, it's, oh, look, it's superstitious. But it's not I, always the killing of animals. Like, there's other things to do with halal. Like, you can't mix um, dairy products with other things, for example. I so thought you, that was more kosher, isn't it? Oh, I thought that was halal as well. well I couldn't tell you. Because yeah. I know that you've got Jewish kitchens that have got yeah, two sinks, man. two fridges, right. blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Okay. You, you just, it might be confusing with the well, Jewish. Yeah, because. Yeah. Well, that's equally nonsensical. Yeah. Well, it makes no really. sense whatsoever. But honestly, so well, we okay, s- so it's the animal um, cruelty aspect of to this. Me, yeah. If it wasn't for that, you'd be okay with it. Well, see, I, I tend to agree with you, Paul, because I do think that we should at the very least stun the animal first before slitting its throat. I would go one step further and have a bolt that goes through the head and that sort of stuff to you don't even stun them. You just kill them instantly. Which is what they do in abattoirs. Exactly. They have a bolt at the back yeah. of the skull. Yeah. Mm. So it's over with out. very quickly. Yeah. Mm. That and whole that- live export furor, that was, that was about... Halal, essentially, wasn't it? We, yes. we have to, we have to yes. send them over their lives so they can slit their throats. They don't the trust that we're going to kill them yeah. by the correct halal method yeah. in Australia and then send the carcasses over. But is it also because they don't have refrigeration in a lot of these countries so they need live animals that are slaughtered then on the spot because the markets things don't have refrigeration so yeah, we couldn't could send... Right. That is frozen meat for that, that reason a, as well. Yeah, that is that is a very large part of what Indonesia was saying that they don't have the refrigeration for the meat. Yeah, but we Surely. we all know the reality of those live exports is that a lot of those animals are going to suffer pretty awful um, ends before mm. they and end during up. transport and during transport. Yeah, mm. I mean, you know, you've probably seen the same Im- images of um, people in Middle Eastern markets, you know, buying a sheep binding its legs with fencing wire and throwing it in the boot of the car to take it home to before they slit its throat, you know. Mm. It's pretty horrific, but... I've got an abattoir story for you. Yeah, if you've got kitties listening, maybe turn this down for another time. Uh, I knew a guy who was part of the Tees family, T-E-Y-S. They were sort of big in the abattoir business, and um, he had nothing to do with it except he was walking through the factory one day for whatever reason, and... When they're slaughtering the beasts, uh, they actually like cut out their assholes as a separate piece of meat when they're slaughtering. And there was one guy whose, whose job was to cut out the assholes of these cows and mm. throw it into a bucket. And he said, "You know the old saying about as ugly as a hatful of assholes, <laughs> or a bucket <laughs> of assholes. It's pretty ugly. <laughs> that's where it come from. That's where, the, that's where that expression said, I don't know where that came from. But in an abattoir. when he looked at the bucket full of assholes, it was a pretty ugly sight. Apparently." <laughs> Do you know I actually worked in an abattoir? Did you? Yeah, when I was. Oh man, you're, you're full of surprises. Was it a Japanese abattoir? No. Oh, okay. It was an Australian one in uh, just outside of Cairns in North right. Queensland when right. I was about eighteen. Right. I got a job as a cleaner in and, an abattoir. Uh, uh, the 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 foreman. Uh, I remember one night he, he I, I you know I used to go into this place and just you get a big hot ho- high pressure hot hot water hose. You basically hose everything down and then you get your scouring pads and you scrub it all and then you hose it down again. But I remember, you know, the bits and pieces of um, cattle's bodies lying around sometimes and I remember he picked up, and I'm not sure if it was a cow's arsehole or a cow's um, uterus, and made some rude gesture towards it in front of me in a very suggestive manner. (laughs) (laughs) So, yes. But you're okay with suggestive sexual 
uh, Look, sort of approaches. So you, yeah, I just, was, just that I, was just water off a duck's back. I was only eighteen, <laughs> Trevor, but I instinctively knew it was just mating behaviour. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh dear! Right, um, US federal shutdown. So it's still going on as we speak. What are we on? Twenty first of twenty second of January two thousand and nineteen. Five days or something. It's been going for. So a number of federal employees have not been paid, and. A lot of previous shutdowns have occurred, but none of them as long as this, and so people didn't miss out on a paycheck. But now they're missing out. Trump's and, got the record, has he? Yeah, uh, well, all time. It could be. I'm not sure. Okay. But when they talk about shutdowns, you know, Obama had a shot a shutdown. The point is, it was short enough that people didn't miss out on their pay. So if you are, uh, you know, a groundskeeper at a national park or something like that, uh, you go home, you don't get paid. But if you are in some sort of essential service, like an air traffic controller, uh, you have to turn up to work or quit. Like you are not allowed to just say, I'm not, I'm on strike because I'm not getting paid. It is illegal for people in those positions to cease work. But they don't get paid. paid. But they don't get paid. So they and we've already done statistics on the number of people in america who are living paycheck to paycheck who could not fund a $500 emergency yeah that's an debt. alarming statistic isn't it it was something like 40% was at least that i can't remember exactly couldn't scrounge up $500 huge number of people for an emergency who are now missing their rent payments situation. missing their mortgage payments missing all sorts of payments how long, gentlemen? What's going to? How's it all going to end? What are your predictions for the US federal shutdown, or you just don't have one? I would have thought that um, sanity would prevail on the Republican side, and probably a delegation will go very quietly to Trump and tell him that he's got to bury his wall, that he can't get it through. So you reckon the Republicans will cave in? Absolutely. Right, twelfth man. Any tips? I doubt it, but you know. I don't know. I don't. You I don't have a tip, but right. a prediction. It's, it's 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 quite disturbing to to realise how many people, like normal, you know, working people, live so close to the edge of calamity, financial calamity, isn't it? It was. In- oh, I'm not going to offer a prediction. I mean, yeah, prediction and Trump. You know, those two words when you put those together, it's you're heading into fairly dangerous territory when you start to try and predict something. And it involves Trump, right? Like, I didn't predict he'd win the election. Not many people did. So how are you supposed to predict when this shutdown's going to end? I don't reckon he's going to give in. I reckon he's going to hang out and he's just going to blame the Democrats and the Republicans can go knocking on his door. Mm. This is good for him, He'll hand them a leftover hamburger and send them back wherever they came from. Like, he will – he – the guy is a psychopath. Mm. And psychopaths don't care about other people's feelings. He does. He looks at the air traffic controllers and the other workers working for free. The border guards mm. couldn't give a rat's. Mm. The Democrats will. Well, there's my tip. The Democrats will blink. Trump won't. He mm. will just keep going, and then he will declare victory. There you go. I'm the strong man leader. Paid for me next time. I get things done. I said I'd give you a wall. He he, he won't back victory down. Victory, no matter what. 
So, right. yeah. But <laughs> no matter what the outcome, he declares he, victory. He has a belly full of burgers. He doesn't care about anybody else. <laughs> I agree oh, with I, your I psychological think. assessment of Trump. There we go. So there's a tip. We'll see what happens. Yeah, I just I'm not convinced of that because, you know, the Democrats have got control of the House now. They only have to convince however many Republicans in the Senate to vote for a, a impeachment, so he could well be gone. No, if he pushes will, too hard, impeachment will take months and months and months, and he has a veto power. So this, he, you know, it's a long, long process to impeach. Which yeah, okay, won't... but the Democrats could do a sweetheart deal with the Republicans in the Senate, and that sort of stay saying this guy's got to go. They agree that he's got to go, yeah. so they pass they pass the they pass the bills that give the money to the president to build the wall. Then while they're getting their act together to build the wall, they impeach him, and then he's going out. And then okay, Pence so that comes means the this... Democrats cave. The Democrats cave initially, but they don't cave in, in the longer term. In order for. A a deal with the Republicans to impeach him. Okay, but they the Democrats could cave and then they realise that this war is going to take a hell of a lot longer than two years to build and they could well stop it once they once they gain the presidency. You don't think you have too benign a view of the Republicans? Oh, I do have a very benign view of the Conservatives. I understand that, yeah. Yeah. Right. Okay, quickly, in terms of predictions, Brexit... Uh, I think that'll probably end up going to a no-deal Brexit because the British can't get themselves organised in time. All right. I think yeah. they're going to ask for an extension. Yeah. No idea. All right, I'm and the for- Europeans, I don't think the Europeans want a hard Brexit either. I think they would prefer to uh, come up with some sort of deal as... as even though they've been allegedly yeah, but the, holding a hard the line. The Europeans have held a very hard line. They have treated the British like shit, to be frank. You know, Macron and all the rest of them have treated them very badly. In what way? Sorry? In what way? They're refusing to negotiate further on the deal. Didn't they reach a deal with Theresa May? Yeah, she took it to the parliament, it got knocked back, and then she's, then they um, then they said there's no further deals. But you don't think that was because that was that was they th- what they thought they could get from her? Because I saw something just recently where the Germans were saying... We don't want the British to go, but if they do go, we don't want a no-deal Brexit because it would hurt us as well. That's what they were saying. Exactly. Now, that is the whole point because Germany still exports a shitload of cars into the United Kingdom. And this is the whole point. I don't understand why the British were so benign in their dealings with them. They should have told them, you know, anyway. Hard Brexit. I'm going hard Brexit as well. I think it'll end up being a hard Brexit because they're not going to negotiate a deal. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, I had a number of topics lined up, which I'm going to just uh, put to the side for the moment, because we need to talk about inequality. Oh. Was uh, over much, cor- well, not much correspondence, just you've indicated was over time that you're not convinced that inequality is a big problem. Is that correct? Well, I've been banging on about it, well, I have for a while, but you're thinking, what's the issue here, Trevor? Is that right? That's correct. Okay. So let me try and convince you. I'm happy to be convinced. Yeah. I'm, I'm coming into this conversation with a very open mind. You've, you've changed my mind on a lot of topics since I've been listening to the right. podcast. Right. Uh, Any come to mind at all that I've changed my mind on? Like, um, <laughs> sexual Tony adva- Abbott? Sexual advances in, a, in a gay club? Or no? <laughs> <laughs> no, you haven't changed my sexuality. Right, I changed your mind about Tony Abbott. Oh, good. You did, yeah. Okay, all right. Yeah. Scott Morrison, did I change your mind on him? Uh, you already... I, th- I, 
pretty down on him. I was already pretty down on him. Okay, yeah. good. Right. Uh, inequality matters. Countries with higher... So inequality, what are we talking about? We're talking about... Wealth extreme, inequality. We're yes, talking wealth about. inequality. Not power inequality. Well, are the two ever separate? I think not, no. but I think they can be decoupled. Right. So... Give me an example in the world of powerful people who don't have political power. You mean rich people? Rich people without political power. That's a very good point. Mm. It's not possible, you don't think? Uh, Decoupling power and and, and wealth? You've got to work really hard. Mm. Mm. But ultimately, it's not possible. So I disagree. Impossible. I think it can impossible. be done. I think you, you, it can be can, done. You if can you, knock the edges off it, but ultimately uh, you can't. I think it can be done if you do away with the donations and all that sort of thing. Yeah. If you do away with that, then you're going to go a very long way to doing away with the power influence. And you also do something about the lobbyists and that sort of thing too. Yeah, and the, then the jobs for boys after they retire. Absolutely, retired. all that sort of crap and should go. And the media mm. that's all owned by a powerful okay. man the like me- Rupert Murdoch. The media can be all legislated out, can't The media, so, is, so, a media so. is a tougher thing to deal with yeah. because you've got one person that controls the media in Australia. Yep. There's no doubt about that. Yep. And, and you've got, you know, rich business councils, thousands or well, seemingly dozens of them, mm. who are all promoting the benefits of low tax Small government leading to growth. Yeah, but that's what know. I just said. You've got mm. to deal. With, you've got to deal with the lobbyists too. Yeah. So, it, it's imp- and you have a, a culture where the poorer classes typically don't care about politics and, until it gets desperate and it's too mm. late, mm. and you have a massive upheaval mm. for some mm. reason. But that's the issue. Yeah, I think. Let me run a few ideas past you. Right. Yeah. Countries with higher levels of inequality have lower life expectancy, higher infant mortality, more homicides, more teenage births, less trust, more obesity, more mental illness and drug abuse, and less social mobility. Like these are all bad things. Mm. And it happens in countries with inequality. Mm. Even if you're one of the wealthier people in society, you have a lower life expectancy than wealthy people in societies that are more egalitarian. Mm. So... It's a compelling um, argument. Mm. So when people talk about inequality today, they're generally uh, worrying that it inhibits economic growth and prevents social mobility and impairs democracy and runs afoul of some standard of fairness. Mm. That's what people think of. And I was going to say that inequality would not be such a problem if the lowest level was comfortable. Mm. Right? So... Uh, the problem is the lowest level is poverty and the middle class is disappearing and shifting down to the lower class. So I was going to say, mm. you know, inequality is not so bad as if the lowest level are all millionaires, right? Yeah. But um, I read this Still thing. not good? It was still not good. Oh. Are you familiar with Adam Smith? Uh, a little bit. <laughs> Wealth of Nations, he's the man behind the invisible hand and yeah. he's the one that libertarians will quote... <laughs> I was looking at you. But libertarians will quote all the time uh, when it comes to the benefits of uh, letting the market decide and small mm. government and market freedom will sort out things. But Adam Smith was basically saying that the market is good in deciding how many coffee shops should be in West End 
mm. through supply and demand. But he was very cognizant of the risks of mm. businesses getting monopolies and 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 working the system to their own advantage. So, but and I'll talk about that in a second. But if we said, look, we've got an unequal society over here. Uh, the poorest are millionaires and the richest are multi-billionaires, so it's mm. not so bad. Adam Smith said, economic inequality distorts people's sympathies, leading them to admire and emulate the very rich and, and to neglect and even scorn the poor. So he was using sympathy akin to the word empathy. And he claimed that due to a quirk of human nature, People find it easier to sympathise with joy than with sorrow, or at least what they perceive to be joy and sorrow. So mm. not only are people more likely to notice the rich than the poor, this is according to Adam Smith, but they are also far more likely to approve of them and to admire them and to emulate them. Uh, and he devoted an entire chapter on his book, uh, The Theory of Moral Sentiments, to demonstrating this. And he said that, uh, this has profound consequences. He says it undermines both morality and happiness. First, morality. Smith saw the widespread admiration of the rich as morally problematic because he did not believe that the rich, in fact, tended to be admirable people. And um, he's turned out to be correct there yes, in that and, prediction. And on the contrary, he portrayed the superior stations of society as uh, suffused with vice and folly presumption and vanity, flattery and falsehood, proud ambition and ostentatious avidity. These are the words of Adam Smith about the elite class, I guess. He said, in Smith's view, the reason why the rich generally do not behave admirably is ironically that they are widely admired anyway on account of their wealth. In other words, they don't have to. (laughs) Um, Their affluence puts them in a position where they don't have to behave morally in order to to earn the esteem of others who are dazzled and enchanted by their riches. At this point, I just give you Exhibit A, those asshole American NBA basketballers who carry on like complete prats and get admired by all sorts of people. The Kardashians? Yes, exactly. Like Mm. That's Exhibit A for what Adam Smith is talking about. He's bang on in that respect. So, um, uh, So... The presence of economic inequality and the distortion of people's sympathies that it attends um, allows and encourages the rich to spurn the most basic standards of moral conduct. Are we going to talk about what we should do about inequality at the end? Uh, I'm I'm getting there. Okay. We we quickly get the Avidity. I like that word, avidity. You like avidity? Yeah. refers to the accumulated strength of multiple affinities of individual non-covalent binding interactions, such as between a protein receptor and its ligand, and is commonly referred to as functional affinity. Smith was... uh a wordsmith. Try and use that in a sentence next mm. week. A bit next week's there you go. So um, Smith also believed that the tendency to sympathise with the rich more easily than the poor makes people less happy. Happiness consists largely of tranquility, and there is little tranquility to be found in a life of toiling and striving to keep up with the Joneses. So if you go to a poor country, or if you look at the happiness indexes around the world, often the poor countries school quite well mm. because everybody is in the same boat. But in the, iniqui- 
in the unequal countries like the USA, you know, you're working as a dishwasher on $7.50 an hour serving up a meal to a man who's got a, you know, Lamborghini that he drives off while wearing all sorts of gold bling. Like mm. when, the, when the poor can observe the rich and the envy that comes out as a result of that is not good. Like there's inherent problems with that. Yeah, I, I see countries like Vanuatu often rank highly on the, the mm. happiness indexes. Yep. Yeah, um, they're a very religious country, um, and I'd argue that their happiness is caused by delusion <laughs> more than anything else. And, and well, America's their, their expectations a, America's, are quite low. America's you a know, very religious country. Someone, someone who's um, well, like, they're, they're, what is it? Twenty-five percent of the population don't believe in God in America. Like, there's some, there's some extremes well, over there. Seventy-five percent do, and they're extremely religious and delusional, mm. but they're not happy. Mm. But see, there, this comes back to the advertising agencies as well that have set these uh, uh, unrealistic expectations on what it is to be Look, happy. Where you, your yeah. friend has how many, his brand how many new Vanuatu? Uh, people are, are watching adverts on and television and, and worrying about what they what products and services that they they don't have. But but the, see what happens in American experience is you know you can have this brand new SUV or you can have this holiday or this thing or this consumer item. There are people who have it. Look, see, they're there. You can mm. be one of them. Mm. That's not going to work in Vanuatu. Not, like it just doesn't happen because. There are no examples of people with that stuff. The average person there doesn't look and think, oh, shit, yeah, I could have a Maserati like, or I could have an extra three acres of land for my yam farm. Like, it's not going to happen. Mm. So they can't appeal to that because it's not going to happen mm. in that more egalitarian society. So I, I think um, rather than worry about the difference in height between the floor and the ceiling... We should be just more focused on raising the floor. Well, I'm just I, I, what Adam Smith is saying that and wherever you have a big difference between the two, you have resentment and unhappiness. Mm-hmm. Even if the floor is, I mean, look at the look at Western the- society. Realistically, mm. you know, the society we're in at the moment has got a very generous floor. Really? Yes. But there's a lot of unhappy people around who are living in, let's face it, a, a comfortable situation But because they look mm. around and they see what else is out there that they can't get. Mm. Mm. And they're bombarded. And the stress in, of... In, in advertising. You know, the stress of you should be getting even more than what you're getting. Mm. So it's a psychological problem. As and much a, as anything. And it's a, it's a, if, if, the, yes. if the people didn't have such large egos or unrealistic expectations and they they learn to be happy with what they have rather than what they don't have. But, but when you're observing a class above you who has it and well, you see, don't, you get jealous. See, I, there's, there's many classes above me as well and I'm, I'm not jealous of them. But is I, there I actually feel sorry for them. Is, yeah. is there not an ethic in the United States? I've got States? more than I need yes. to be happy, and I've realised that. Yep. Um, and and 
if, if people could be taught that, problem solved. Mm. You know, yeah, I, I, I like to think mm. about take, a, take someone from the poorest class from 100 years ago, 1918, bring them forward into the future 100 years and show them someone from the poorest class in 2018 and you say, see that guy over there sleeping underneath the bridge? He's, he's, he's the poorest of the poor in our modern society. That guy would go, but he's obese. He's, he's, he's drinking beer. He's mm-hmm. smoking cigarettes. He's got a gambling – he's not poor. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he's got free health care. Yeah. Is he happy? You know? <laughs> but he's not happy, is he? But uh, giving him more money we, would we make just, him happy? We just need to teach him would to be give happy. Him, giving him Do- more money make him happy? No. <laughs> he'd go out and spend more on booze. He'd, he'd spend – he'd put more through the poker machines. He'd uh, – you know, he'd, he'd he'd go and buy himself material possessions that would make him happy for a day, and then he'd be back to being unhappy again. I'm wondering, Warren, which um, member, of the, which Liberal Party membership do you have? <laughs> <laughs> so, well, let's look at some experiments that are being conducted around the world. There's always going to be poor, unhappy people. It, it's not a case of solving that by throwing money at the problem. No, so so let's, look at, let, let, yeah. let's look at, at some experiments that are being run around the world. So the USA, I'm saying, is one experiment mm. of an unequal society mm. and we could nominate a number of, say, classic Scandinavian countries which are the other experiment. Mm. So Sweden and Norway. Yeah. And so, Finland too. Yeah. So to my understanding... Uh, there's not huge disparities in incomes between teachers and business people and the, the housing is more or less very similar. You don't have the wide variety of mansions versus hovels and mm. people pay a lot of tax as a result. There's a lot of social security as a result and people are significantly happier on the whole then in the yes, on all the happiness indexes, they're they're happy chappies compared to miserable people in the states, mm. who the large proportion of whom are just let's cannot come up with five hundred dollars in an emergency funding. Mm. So it's really hard to be happy when you know that the slightest hiccup in circumstances means you're going to miss a rent payment and be out on the street potentially. Mm. So, it's, just, you know, you, we've, we can run the experiment that's it's been done. And mm. the, it's, it's the data's there. Yeah. Definitely. Do yeah. you think part of it is the, in the United States there's this fairly common idea that if you're not successful, you're not working hard enough? You know, it's this idea that every man can be uh, a millionaire. And, and, that's, and, mm. and the reality is that we know that it's not that easy. It was a lot easier for Donald Trump to become a billionaire than it would be for an auto worker, for example. Yeah, mm. it is because Donald Trump inherited his first so, three hundred million. Yeah. yeah. So they're taught that you know if if they're not super rich, if they're not living like the Kardashians, it's their fault. There's something wrong with them. Whereas in Vanuatu, 
people are not taught that there's something wrong with them if they're not, you know, driving a, any kind of car, I mm. suppose, you know. Mm. And in Australia, I, th- I think we have a, you know, a bit less of that American idea, don't we? Yeah, we do yeah. at this stage. You know, we're taught that. And the whole point of this. The difference know, between the guy who drives a Holden and the guy who drives a Lamborghini yeah. is just a matter of, you know, one guy got a better job. Yeah. And, you know, we differ between our subcultures. Like I would say to you that in Australia you could meet somebody at a social event and talk about all sorts of things unrelated to money but at the same event in Sydney, they would say, where do you live? What school do your kids go to? What car are you driving? Like uh, people assessing your wealth. Yeah. I think More than here? Yes. Yeah. And people would go, what, where do you live? And they would immediately start slotting you into a, into a, you know, a posse. You don't think Brisbane people do that? Not as much. I'm saying that not as much. I think I, I grew up in New South Wales and... I moved to Queensland 10 years ago and I couldn't believe that uh, so many people were worried about what school you went to. Right. Be. Right. <laughs> That's uh, a status thing it, in, yep. in, uh, in, in Brisbane. Yeah. More so it might be more universities down south rather than schools. Mm. Yeah. 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 But it's also more, yeah. yeah so it's a, it's a... I think it's That's a problem right. that needs to be solved mm. culturally, not not just by redistributing. Wealth. Okay, so are you sensing? I'm sensing. Is there an unfairness to redistributing wealth? So somebody I like Jeff Bezos. I don't Bezos think it's unfair. Or, I think it's just not going to solve the problem. To be honest, like so, so somebody like it's a, it's a, the Amazon Jeff Bezos should yeah. should should there be some redistribution of his wealth or not? Uh I don't think we should be forcing. I don't think we should be legislating redistribution of his wealth. I think we we should be shaming him into it. <laughs> should he be paying seventy percent tax? No, no, I don't think he should. Right, because well, you talk about Jeff like Bezos. We can talk about Warren Buffett. Yeah, any of the multi-billion, you know, the one percent. Warren Warren Buffett gave away mm. what seventy-four percent of his wealth, mm. um, and. He's given it to um, the Bill and Melinda Gates mm-hmm. Foundation. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure you would agree the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation will spend Warren Buffett's $46 billion or whatever it was that he gave to them much more wisely than Scott Morrison would. I have to pull you up there. I listened to a podcast recently. I believe it was, I believe it was This American Life. And they went through and they looked at the, you know, not the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, but they looked at those charitable foundations that have been set up and they compared that to a government redistribution and they proved that the government was actually more efficient because the government, they said in their own minds, they said the government does one good thing, they send money out to people really quickly, really efficiently. And this was a discussion that was, no, Freakonomics it was. They write checks. Yeah, they write checks. They're good at writing checks. Absolutely, they're Freakonomics. Yeah. This was a Democrat, a guy that's put his hand up to become the Democratic nominee. He was, he's running on a universal basic income. Yeah, I've heard that podcast. Yeah. 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 They're good at writing checks. They're Absolutely. not actually good at yeah. but, distributing but, money to yeah, where but, it should go. Yeah, oh, but see, Once it's defined where it needs to go, they, they're, they they're give, good at getting it there. Yeah, but if they give out $1,000 a month, 
to mm. all these to all these Americans, regardless of their wealth, mm. that overnight eliminates the whole disaster situation that they're currently on, where they're five hundred bucks away from losing their homes. And that is a redistribution. That is a redistributive policy. That mm. universal basic income, because they're going to have to increase the tax on the higher levels, and they're going to redistribute it to the rest of the population. I'm glad you brought up universal basic income because I think that's one of the solutions. Absolutely, it is. Well, it's going to be paid for somehow. So, yeah. here's what I say about the super wealthy one percent: is that they're relying on the infrastructure that civilized society has provided. And if Jeff Bezos was born 50 years ago, he could not have created his super wealth. Mm. So he's using society's infrastructure more than the average Joe, so he should pay more taxes than the average Joe. And he does. So yeah. He gets well, not, more benefit not, from Not it. nearly enough mm. for what he's using. So I don't care whether there's a road between... Darwin and Alice Springs, but Jeff Bezos does because he's got a needs a delivery truck to go that way to deliver one of his items. Like there's, I don't care whether there's a court in Broome, but he needs one there for a small debt if a bill isn't paid. Like there's mm. all sorts of infrastructure that you know he's relying on. Otherwise, his business couldn't work, mm. and so he should be paying. For, the previous generation, the society for for what he's using that you and I just don't use. Or if, even yeah. if he's not relying, I, even I, if he's I not agree using with it, you on that point. the fact that he's relying on it means mm. he should be up for it. You sent through a graph that showed mm. the wealth distribution in Australia. I'm just trying mm. to, to find it here. Yep. And it's top heavy. There's no Australia's doubt wealthiest 1% own 22.9% of yeah. the wealth. And so yeah. Australia's and wealthiest ten percent owned fifty two point three. Yeah. So you're you're saying that we should be establishing some sort of a target, what around twenty five percent, thirty percent? we need to even it out. We need to even so, it out. So, so we we need to bring that back to twenty five, thirty percent and then just monitor that over time and then just keep bumping up the top tax bracket if it starts to creep. So we're just going to continually monitor that graph and and change the tax rate accordingly. Yes. So we should be taxing the top end much more than we are at the moment. So when we're talking about tax rates, um, people say, oh, you know, if you tax, um, if you have high taxes, then growth will suffer. But there's a graph here showing that's not the case, that... uh, that in fact, yeah. Well, I'm looking at they, that graph now, and that's that graph's all over the place. I'm sorry. But as a general trend, <laughs> you well, can see that as the a general tax rate trend, dropped in '63 and growth shot up. But as a general trend, as you're looking at it, you, you can't look at it and say, "Oh, higher taxes mean growth suffers." Can you correlation or causation? Well. The argument from people is, oh, if we tax people, the economy will suffer. So Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez in mm. the United States, AOC, she's big in the news Good dancer. lately. Good dancer. Yeah. What was that? Uh, what was the dance she did from Footloose or something like that, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. So she has said something like, those over earning over $10 million should pay 70% 
tax. The tippity toppities or whatever yeah. you call them. Yeah. People earning over $10 million should pay 70%. Mm. And it's great because finally somebody is shifting the goalposts to some extent. Like we've just had decades since the Reagan-Thatcher era of this low-tax, uh, no-government approach, and it's just not working. So finally somebody's saying, and what you can do is then look at our own, you know, in America it wasn't that long ago that there were tax rates of that sort of amount. Mm. And in Australia it wasn't that long ago. Like if you look at the top marginal tax rate in 1966-67 in Australia, it was somewhere in the high 60s, looks like about 68%. Mm. So in some of the – and that was historically going back to 1951 at least – 1951, it was 75%. So it wasn't unheard of mm. for those sorts of tax rates to be the norm. But what happened was this whole sort of neoliberal theory came about in the 1970s with Milton Friedman and the Chicago School of Economics and the idea of trickle-down economics, which Thatcher and Reagan latched onto, which proved to be complete bunkum. Oh, I haven't and seen the data that supports that. Nobody – well, we've talked on this podcast about the fact that trickle-down economics – Is a myth. Is a myth. It does not work. There but are – you haven't backed it up with – We have on previous evidence. episodes where we've said, yes, there was a big tax cut in, um, in the United Kingdom mm. and um, there was no uh, trickle-down at all by any measurable standard – after the tax breaks. So the but as, stuff, as a nation as a whole gets richer, but they, they, everyone gets richer. No, yeah. they don't. No, the rising tide no, lifts all boats. Of, what about bullshit. China? It, it what about China? People sit on their wealth. What about yeah. China? So, yeah, but China's is got, that what's happened but, in China? No, but China has, has the largest number of millionaires anywhere on the planet now. Yeah. Now, and they've gone from a state of yeah, early the, 80s where nine out of ten people lived Below in poverty. extreme poverty, yeah. and now in a situation where yeah, one is, out of ten people live. That is in true, poverty, but that is probably so. due to the liberal trade order and that sort of stuff that's mm. around the world that enables them to export their way out of those problems. It's I don't believe due to the economy. Just no, the economy didn't grow just because going through of that. double digit. Growth it went through double digit growth because of the trade liberalisation. Mm. Well, like we we can see with the banks, for example, here, mm. like um, Morrison announced big tax cut for corporations, reducing it from 30% to 25%. Mm. And the National Australia Bank said, we're getting rid of 7,000 jobs, mm. whether there's a tax cut or not. It's, we're getting rid of them. So they don't, it doesn't trickle down. Big corporations mm. don't suddenly say, oh, we've got more money, we're going to pay our people more. Mm. That's, that's not how they're... But there's a, there's a to survive. There's a, there's a difference between income inequality and wealth inequality mm. as well. I mean, I, I know people who have uh, earned very healthy incomes for a long period of time mm. and are poor. Yeah. And I know people that have earned very meagre incomes. Mm over that same period of time, mm -hmm. and they're very wealthy. So mm -hmm. I think we need to distinguish between wealth inequality and income inequality and not get the two confused as well. I mean, just 
giving people more, you know, raising the minimum wage and giving them more income doesn't necessarily make people wealthier if they just spend it on overseas holidays to Bali and expensive but, but sports cars. You're saying that the but money that goes from the rich has to go to the poor in terms of a transfer of money to them. But there's also the argument that the money that comes from the rich goes into the state for infrastructure and mm. services. So at, at the moment we've got, uh, you know, again, take the American example, which I do all the time. You know, in the 50s and 60s, they spent all sorts of money building magnificent highways mm. system. That's all decrepit now. Like mm. it's potholed and falling apart. There's no money going into that. So it's not that you take the money from the rich and just hand it to the poor. P- part of that is that you use that money to create services and infrastructure mm. for the poor. So, you and, know, and when you look at... not only for the poor, for everybody. So when you, mm. when you look at things like what happened previously, like the iPhone, everyone goes, oh, what a great example of, mm. you know, um, private enterprise and, and ingenuity. Mm. But all of the significant components of the iPhone were done by government. Yeah. In private research labs or, you know, the sort of equivalents of your CSIRO. NASA projects. You know, that's where things were done. So, yeah. Oh, we're in total grants there. So, you know, it's not a case of taking all of the money from the rich and 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 giving it all to the poor, you do things like give it to the universities so, that the, so that the education yeah. is free so that people who go and get a degree mm. aren't like saddled with a huge debt of fifty thousand dollars that they're gonna try and pay off. Um, you know, it's it's not necessarily handouts to the poor, but it's other matters as well that will increase their ability. I, I think I think what you're saying is right. That you know, there there is some ways that we can improve uh, through changing the tax rates and, and and that sort of stuff. But I think there's there's a a much more efficient way. You know, if if individuals took it upon themselves to change the culture around wealth inequality, like, do you know who the biggest Philanthropist in Australia is? These philanthropists, I'd have uh, no idea. His name's Paul Ramsey. Uh, he died. He died, yeah. Yep. He set up so, the Paul Ramsey Foundation. Yeah. And his, his foundation contributes 83.1. So, so, so when you say he's a philanthropist, it's mm. his estate. It's a, it's a foundation that he set yeah. up. But he was a gay man who died without children. Mm-hmm. Your point? What are you looking at me well, for? Well, <laughs> no, what I'm, what I'm well, saying well, is, what I'm saying well, is, why don't, isn't why don't dying I know? And leaving all of your stuff, you know, that's not a, a man. A gay man dies with their children up before he died. Yeah, but and this foundation was making annual but, but payouts. What, he couldn't take it with him. Yeah, but why don't we but, know his name? Well, we do because. Why don't we? Why don't? Why aren't we celebrating him on Australia Day? Why aren't we? You know, we do, we, do you we know celebrate. What's do, you know what's the, do you know what's happened to the Paul Ramsey money? 
is so. it's been hijacked by Tony Abbott and and John Howard and the rest of the right wing nutters. Has it? Yes. Yeah. So That's disappointing. So they have got seats on the board or whatever it is of the Ramsey Foundation oh. and have said, oh, we need to set up the uh, Ramsey course for the for the beatification of Western right. civilization. Well, that, that might be a and bad example. Let's, so, let's go so, back to America then. So, let's let's think about Warren Buffett or yeah. Bill Gates compared to um, who, who's that guy who was the head of Apple? Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs. Right. So yeah. when Steve Jobs passed away, yeah. people were in mourning that such a great human being. <laughs> Had, had passed away and the world was a, a worse place. Some people were applauding because he was a tyrannical <laughs> psychopath. But the, but the majority, so, the majority who knew him? of people thought Just, it was a disaster. And he, he served himself, right? He's, yeah. Um, someone like Warren Buffett or Bill Gates who are doing these extraordinary things for humanity. Do you know why they're doing it? Why? Because they recognise that leaving that sort of money to their kids is doing them a disservice. Mm. So they have rationally determined that it is in their own self-interest. I'm sure that's an element of it. I'm pretty sure that those guys want to leave a legacy of of making a mark on the positive influence. Well, they've already left a legacy just by what they've done. Bill and Melinda. I mean, didn't they eradicate polio out of India? I mean, they are giving that money away. Wouldn't you like people saying stuff like that about it? They've given that money away, (laughs) and they've said this because. It's actually harmful for their children. And, and I totally agree with so, that. Yeah. So, Bill you know, and Melinda Gates have said that their kids are going to get $10 million a head. Yep. And that's it. Yep. And the rest of it's going into the, the super Bill wealth. Would and, be- and very famously, I think they said we're going to leave them enough so that they can do anything they want to do, but not so much that they can do nothing. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And, and that's the a, that's a sort of cultural change that we need to be forcing. So, you know, ah, but how do you force without legislation? Well, well, yeah. can, can I make one other point? Are you advocating an inheritance tax? An inheritance tax, yes. I, I agree, I agree yeah. with an inheritance tax. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 I think uh, giving pe- money is evil unless you've earned it. Yep. It's going to do you more harm than good unless you've actually earned it. Yep. Definitely. It's good for the people involved. It's good for society. But look, those individuals that you mentioned, Warren, that's a handful of quite exceptional people and maybe they're just really good people. But, mm. you know, there are literally thousands of millionaires who probably mm. don't have those same values of, of sharing their wealth. Mm. So, you know, on the societal level... And we should level, be calling them out. On the societal level, we need a, a culture we, we shouldn't be. We shouldn't be... You know, it's impossible to know. Crying tears, and, and these people have no shame anyway. So they don't, you know, just calling them out and appealing to the better nature is not going to do it. Yeah. Mm. And when you have rich people who think that they deserve to be rich because they're inherently smarter or or better people, and that's mm. why they're rich. I mean, part of the American ethic, I think, is. That if you're not rich, it's because you haven't worked hard enough. So yeah, we've, got, we've obvious- just got to stop the idolisation of rich people. You know, people who build, you know, nine-hole 
golf courses on the roofs of their mansion. You, you know, we've just got to. Mm. Well, you see, Adam Smith is not, saying that's an inherent fault in the human, human and, nature. And Adam, let's. I'm glad you're getting back to Adam Smith because I agree with him on the point that we idolise the rich. But I, I, his other point about looking down upon the poor, I don't think humans do. I don't think that's part of human nature. I mean, we. As human, we like to eat, we like lifting people up, you know. In general, a, some a, people don't. A good proportion like to think that the poor are poor because they. I think the vast majority are, of people enjoy are, are lifting people up, you know, that. And definitely people who are prepared to help themselves. Like, there's a great amount of joy. And I've had experiences in my own personal life where I've. <laughs> helped people from dire situations and it's very rewarding and I don't think that's an uncommon feeling amongst the majority of human beings. I think Adam Smith is definitely bang on in terms of our hero worship of wealthy people but I think he's completely off the mark in terms of our disdain for the poor. Well, you know, there's an element there of the poor because they don't want to work hard. And that's a, a small common, element. That's a, a common element. thought of the poor is that they are under, you know, they don't want to work hard. It's their fault somehow that they are in the position they're in because it's comforting. I, I, I wouldn't see that as the majority of people that would think mm, that I, of the poor people. I, like I, I think if that's what Adam Smith's saying, I think he's not far off. Hmm. Can you repeat his words there? I was trying to find them earlier. His, okay. His, his, his attitude towards the, the poor. Uh, let me just see. Um, uh, okay. Smith goes so far as to proclaim that the disposition to admire and to all mm. and to and almost to worship the rich and the powerful, and to despise or at least to neglect persons despise. of poor and mean condition. Despise and neglect. Do you do you walk past a, a beggar who's who's sitting on Queen Street and despise them? Fist. In, do you, do you in, look at them and go, mm, "I despise you." In unequal societies, people do. They say it's because they didn't assholes. Because <laughs> they didn't try hard enough. They're bludgers. Yeah. And I'd say those arseholes make up a very small so, minority. So of the in population. Australia they you, do you, because yeah. we are more egalitarian. Mm, yeah. In the United States they don't. They do yeah. make up a larger proportion of the population. Yep. And in Adam, Adam Smith lived in an era when people were born into their social class, mm. and the and the the upper classes generally probably did have a rather disparaging view of the lower class. But if I was to if I was to meet Warren Buffett, he's way richer than I am. Do, do you think he'd look down upon me and despise me? No, but he's he's just one <laughs> individual and he's probably quite an exceptional no, person. No, but I reckon if I got a room full of the top 200 uh, uh, wealthiest true people politicians. In, in America, the top 200 wealthiest and put them in a room, they wouldn't give you the time of day. They would, who are you? You're nothing to me. I'm moving on. Who else is in this room? Like ninety nine percent of them wouldn't give you the time of day because they wouldn't treat me poorly. They just wouldn't. Well, what do you call? You know, they have no time for you. Mm. There'd be uh, no interest in you. There'd be some neglect. Like, yeah, got no time for you. But if 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 I saying 
They're not going to kick you out under the gutter, but they, yeah. Why would if I was they? Because starving, they, hungry. Because they'll take up their time. Would they? Would they not give me any food? No, they wouldn't. No, because they're starving and hungry in their country, who they don't give food to, mm. and who they dodge taxes so they don't have to pay anything. So. Mm. So it's the disproportionate accumulation of wealth yeah. by those who have already greater access to the, the means of generating wealth or accumulating mm. wealth, right? Mm. Whereas I think Trevor wants to see a more even spread of that yeah, wealth. Look, the reasons are because you have a healthier and happier society. You don't have the dysfunctional society, but there's also the fact, the fact that uh, with money comes power. And with that comes control of our democracy as it's currently shaped. And it's a constant battle with these guys where they will take more and more power over our democracy yeah. and get laws made that will benefit them. That's why... Oh, power pay, inequality is a but, terrible you know, thing. That's why we give a 50% discount on capital gains because <laughs> the rich lobbied and said we need mm. this. Oh, I agree it's, with you wholeheartedly on that. There's and, a, there's and a power inequality. And nobody talks about it. There's, yeah, exactly. Because, yeah. because the rich and powerful control the discourse. I hate that word discourse, but there it is. They control that discourse. Yep. It's, it's not a topic of conversation for the average Joe where it should be. Mm. And it comes back to what sort of society do you want to live in. And mm. I, I recall years ago visiting Manila in the Philippines Mm. And uh, everybody who had a decent house had a big wall around it with broken glass in the top, mm. you know. And I had a conversation with friends years ago, and I, I may have said this before on the podcast, but uh, with friends of mine who'd worked hard, they were just working class people who'd worked hard, built up their own small business, had done well, they had enough money, they bought land out, outside the city, built a nice big house, and on a few acres, and, and we had this conversation, and they said to me, why should any of our taxes go mm. to, paying to uh, paying money to dole bludgers to sit on their asses? And I said to them, well, you know, what do you prefer? You've got this beautiful house. You've got a fence around it. You don't have a, uh, you know, 10-foot wall with glass in the top. I said, what, what do you prefer that the people who, for whatever reason, down in their luck, don't have as, as good a, an income, mm. can still live in a house, can still drive a car, even if it's an old car, can still go to the supermarket and buy food, can still mm. send their kids to school, and they're not crawling, you know, they're not crawling through your, your window when you're out, out in town mm. trying to steal your stuff. To mm. me, that, that's the measure, is mm. that people are happy enough, content enough with what they have that they don't, they're not forced into desperate measures to survive. You know? and, and, you know, I sense in your discussion was is that if people work hard enough and apply themselves, then they can rise, you know, pull themselves up by their bootstraps and, and rise above it all. Mm. But the world is working against uh, that because it used to be you could have a successful small business. Mm open a shop and sell something and work hard and and achieve. But in a complicated world that we're building, it's powerful companies who control everything now that make mm. it extremely difficult for a small business person to start up any business and, and compete with them. So mm. if it's any sort of market with any sort of capacity – 
the, the big players move in and take over and control. So they control the brands, they control where it's sold and how it's sold. And, and so realistically, 50 years, 100 years from now, anybody who's working is going to be working for a large corporation. Mm. You, you won't have the chance to be this entrepreneur who pulls themselves up by the bootstraps. And the mm. ability to start a new business and break into a market, the barriers to entry are just getting bigger and bigger because the things that we want are more complex and more difficult to make. So mm. you can start a coffee shop or a bakery, but anything more than that, and, and you know, Anybody can do that. So you're competing against those sorts of people. You'll just be making a bare minimum. It's, mm. it's going to be increasingly difficult for people to pull themselves up by the bootstraps as an employee of a large mega firm. And, the, yeah, so the large corporations are just going to control things more and more. So um, it's just going to get tougher and tougher for people mm. to pull themselves up. Mm. Agreed. Mm. It is very true. So, oh, look, I'll just quickly run through one of the other things that Adam Smith made the point of was that uh, talking about monopolies and oligopolies. So um, he said that the interest of dealers, referring to stock owners, manufacturers and merchants, in any particular branch or trade of manufacturer is always... Uh, in some respects, different to and opposite to that of the public. So the interests of big business is always going to be opposite to that of the public because they want to widen the market and to narrow the competition in their interest. <coughs> so a wide market might be in public interest, but narrowing the competition is never in the public interest. So, um, so that's what... Corporations are trying to do all the time and, uh, you know, they swallow each other up so that you end up with just two or three large corporations who who control things. Mm. And as we have just learnt was, this is happening in our beer market as yes. our beer sponsor. <laughs> so <laughs> we have the ability to fight back. We, we do and we're going to. But uh, <laughs> so um, examples of market concentration with beer – so um, next time someone starts extolling the virtues of craft brewing while sipping on a white rabbit, little creatures, Kosciuszko, Napstein, Furphy or Matilda Bay, remind them they're drinking one of the many faux craft beers on offer that are owned by one of the big brewers. So um, the only thing crafty about these beers is the marketing. I was um, mortified when you sent me this information. Yep. The four biggest firms <laughs> control 90% of the market in Australian beer. <coughs> this happens in a whole bunch of industries. Our banking sector, the four banks, uh, their asset share is up to 77%, uh, which is a lot for four banks. Um, their annual return has been 15% making them the most profitable financial institutions in the world where the, the average returns have been 10%. So these companies will just acquire each other, you get bigger and bigger, and it gets harder and harder for 
a small person to enter the market and there's just going to be really tough. Invest in banks and Carlton United Breweries. That's what I'm hearing. (laughs) Gentlemen, stop drinking beer. Stop racking up an overdraft on your credit card. There's solutions, Fist. That's it. All right. Well, to be continued, I think. This has been a record. Uh, Mrs. Fist has just arrived back from from where she was. So, uh, boy, that was a long one, but a good one. We had a lot of sort of. I had fun. We had a lot of racial talk at the beginning there. Um, <laughs> we really lost the plot with the Australia Day thing, but we're just over it. I think this whole, honestly, we're the ones calling for equality of treatment of people without reference referring to the referring to their race, and it's the others who are actually saying no. We want special rules because of somebody's difference. Mm. Ken and Malik said it. It's. It's um. It, it used to be that you would demand equal treatment despite your differences, and now people want special treatment because of their differences. Mm. There we go. Mm. All right, gentlemen. Uh, thank you, Was. Thank you. That was uh, that was fun. Been great having you. Thank you, Velvet Glove. No problem. Twelfth man. Always a pleasure. We'll be back again next week. Until then, bye for now. Thanks very much. See you next week. Bye. Hope you enjoyed the episode. That was good. Well, dear listener, did you enjoy that episode of the podcast? If you did, I've got a favour to ask. Uh, First up, tell some friends. Let them know about the podcast. You'll be discussing something at some time and you might be repeating something I've said. And when you're talking to your friends, say, hey, I heard this on this podcast and it's worth listening to. And maybe pick an episode that you think's a good one and direct them to it. Like grab their phone and go to their podcast app and search for Iron Fist Velvet Glove and subscribe <laughs> on their behalf on their phone and uh, and just put the word out. The other thing is you could become a patron and support the show. So if you go to our website, you'll see a link to Patreon and there are some different options for subscribing and paying per episode and really the amount that you pay depends on what you get from the podcast so there's different levels ranging from a dollar fifty australian to i think ten dollars and various ones in between it's really what do you think it's worth is it worth a cup of coffee uh is it worth more than that less than that whatever you get out of it because not everybody gets the same maybe you don't listen to the whole thing. Maybe you never talk about it with people. Maybe you really couldn't care less half the time whether the podcast is there. It just, it'll be different for everybody. So if you get a lot out of the podcast, contribute a bit more. If you don't get much, contribute less. But in any event, you can subscribe there. If you don't like the idea of a regular subscription, the website has a link to a PayPal donation. So you could just do a one-off donation every now and again. So there you go. It'd be good to uh, spread the word, get a few more listeners and that way, look, if we ended up getting more listeners and more money, we could do maybe a second episode or more special episodes, provide some more content. So it's up to you. If you think it's worthwhile, let people know. Thanks.